there are moments that change our lives forever. Birth of a kid, loss of a loved one, maybe a word of encouragement or that spark of love. Who we are is deeply shaped by the encounters that we have. And fundamentally, as human beings created in the image of God, we are hardwired for an encounter with God. Life seems lacking until we've deeply encountered the God of the universe. We may not put words to it in such a way, but there's an ache of the soul, a longing, a thirsting, a hunger. We try to satiate it with all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, what our hearts and our souls long for is God himself, because that's how we were made. But oftentimes... In our, in our honest moments, we probably would wrestle, but I, how do we truly encounter God? Like I said earlier, how, how do we experience not just an encounter, how do we experience a life-changing encounter with the God of the universe? Is it really possible? For some this morning, as you walked in, you walked in discouraged, you walked in frustrated, maybe you walked in doubting, maybe wrestling with God. I believe this moment, God wants to speak to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to meet with you and reveal himself to you. We're going to spend the next three weeks in um, what is perhaps my favorite passage in the entire Bible, Isaiah chapter 6. And as we study these eight verses, we will discover what it looks like, not just to encounter God, but how do we do it in such a way that it doesn't just take our breath away, but it directs our lives and fills our souls. This morning, real intentionally, there are no notes. I have no PowerPoint. Because the aim this morning isn't to master content. The aim this morning is for you to connect deeply with the God of the universe who longs to connect deeply with you. And so, if you would sit back, relax, take a deep breath, and let me simply read to you Isaiah Six, the prophet's encounter with the God of the universe. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. 2014 was a hard year. Now, we've had more difficult years in my family as far as struggling with health of kids. But 2014 was the toughest ministry year of our lives. Four years ago, we set out to plant Awakening Church. I mean, just filled with excitement, anticipation. We were naive. We didn't know what we were doing, you know. And as a family, we're all in. It was 2012, September. We'd found a location, Del Mar, finally. We had a team. We even had a small staff. We stepped out. It's exhilarating and overwhelming. Jenny and I often talk about those early days, and I think we're still in probably some early days as a church. But had we known the cost... Had we known the pain ahead, had we known how hard it was, we're not so sure we would follow God's call. And I think God's incredibly wise in this sometimes, isn't he? That he leaves us or leads us on a need-to-know basis to ensure that we go on the path we need to go. Because otherwise, I don't know about this. If you don't know, Awakening started out from Westgate Church. We were planted from them. We were a young adults ministry, met on Sunday nights, and so we continued Sunday nights. But 2014 was hard. 2014, two years into planning church, it seemed like the dream was going to come to a crashing end. I mean, we started out with just this dream and passion to awaken this generation to new life, to see a movement of God happen in our city, and to see those who are far from God come close to him for dead to come to life. And yet it felt like it was all falling apart. We had these evening services and And in fact, we had a really large crowd of 20-somethings. Two years into it, what we realized is there's no way we could build a church that would awaken this generation if we just stuck with an evening service. And so we made an incredibly excruciating decision to stop for a season our evening 
service. We lost a ton of people. I can't tell you how rejecting it is as a pastor when people just walk away and leave. How, how hurtful it is when you've invested your life. I mean, for us, the first couple years, man, my garage was our storage unit. My house was our base, home base and office for everybody. Our front yard was where we organized the trucks. I mean, it was all in. We sacrificed all that we had in our family. I mean, every Sunday was morning till night. Our kids. And we made this change. And granted, I made lots of mistakes in making changes. And it's so painful to watch people that you loved, people that you invested in, walk away. In the same season, I, I was, what I felt like, it may not have been, but it's what I felt like I was betrayed by a close friend. And I don't know if you've ever been deeply betrayed by a friend and the wound that creates. We also lost a couple staff members, and all of a sudden we look up, our church is half its size. We made the, what we believe the right decision, but we we're getting the wrong results. And Jenny and I look up, and it looks like it's just us. I remember that summer. Going, God, I don't think I can do this anymore. You ever have those just honest conversations with God? You ever just have those moments where you go, what the? You fill in the blank. Where you cry out to God and you go, man, I followed you. Followed your call. And look where we're at. It's interesting as I look back a couple years later and see all that God's done. I used to have a list that, you know, what I'd do differently if I could go back and do it all over again, you know. This is a long list, by the way. But you know what? I wouldn't change 2014, even though I didn't like it. I wouldn't change it because in that moment, in that year, God did something in me that was irreplaceable because God does something in the trials that can only be done in the trials. When Isaiah starts his encounter with God, he starts this way. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw God. Now, Isaiah, a little background for you, grew up in what was known as the southern kingdom, Judah. Around 930 BC, Israel was a united kingdom, 12 tribes all together. And they had a bit of a civil war-ish divide and split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, Israel, 10 tribes. The southern kingdom, Judah, two tribes, Judah 
and Benjamin. The southern kingdom was where Jerusalem was, the temple was. And Isaiah grew up in the southern kingdom. And we know by this note of Isaiah that this happened sometime around 740 BC, around 200 years after the division of the kingdom. But this note is so much more. than a textual marker telling us when the encounter happened. These seven words are filled with anguish, pain, disappointment, uncertainty. You see, Isaiah was the son of an aristocrat named Amos. And, and he grew up in the court of the king. He had access. In fact, their families were really close. He had access to the king. And Uzziah actually was an incredibly great king, reigned for 50 years. His entire lifetime, Isaiah's entire lifetime, Uzziah was king. Families are friends. And Isaiah is growing up and then becoming prophet to the court, to the king. During Uzziah's reign, Israel, or Judah rather, experienced incredible prosperity and peace while all around them there was turbulence and chaos. Superpower Assyria would come and eventually conquer the northern kingdom and Damascus and Samaria. And yet under his reign there was peace in Judah. And so Isaiah writes, in the year King Uzziah died. In the year that a close friend and mentor died. In the year that all that I ever knew of the way life worked died. In the year when politically all around us is chaos, and now we have uncertainty died. In the year of wandering in the valley, in the wilderness, in that year, I saw God. See, when we talk about encountering God, a lot of times the way we think about it is this mountaintop experiences, right? That encountered God on the mountaintops, and certainly we have those. And some of you have had those mountaintop experiences. You've gone to retreats or camps. You can look back on moments in your life, and, and there were these mountaintop experiences. But so often, we elevate the mountaintop experiences and miss the God encounters in the valleys below. I, I don't know how you would finish that phrase. In the year, blank died. Because if you're honest, if you're honest and we're talking about a life-changing encounter with God, you feel like, no, 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 you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's going on around me. I'm so far from God. 
I'm so deep in the weeds. I'm lost. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. The storm around me is raging. In the year that she walked away from this relationship, in the year my kids walked away from God, in the year we got that cancer result, in the year I lost my job, in the year that addiction took over my life, in the year. Isn't it incredibly good news? That we have a God that not only meets us on the mountaintops, but that pursues us to the valley below. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw God. I encountered him wandering in the valley below. You know, the motif of valley or um, wilderness is all throughout the Bible. In fact, it seems that God does some of his most significant work in the valley or the desert or the wilderness. We resist it. Naturally, it's painful. It's hard. If only we could see that so oftentimes in the valley, God is doing his work of preparation. He's doing his deep work in us. Perhaps we would engage or sit with him a little bit more. But you see, everyone, if you chart the people of Israel... 40 years in the desert, Moses in the desert, David wandering before he was appointed king, and yet there was 15 plus years before he was anointed king in the desert. And not even God's own son missed out on the wilderness, did he? And some walked in this morning, and you're wandering in the valley below. And I just believe he just wants to speak such a word of life that even in that moment, you can not only encounter God, but you can be changed by him, even in the wandering. Some walked in this room and you're wandering in the valley of regret, aren't you? That the pain of your past failures, the pain of what you've done or even what's been done to you overshadows your present situation. It overshadows your future. You're wandering in the valley of regret and you're wondering, how could God ever want me? How could God ever use me? I'm damaged goods. You know, before Moses met with God on Mount Sinai, he had another encounter, and it was in a valley. You see, Moses, Moses grew up as, as this, you know, incredible, like, blessed, anointed kid. A Jewish kid, but raised in the wealth and the education of Egypt. And yet he was running from his past. 
because he tried to take matters into his own hands, killed an Egyptian, and now he had both Egypt and other Israelites grumbling against him, and he runs from his past into the desert, thinking it's done, and he's just going to eke out the rest of his life. And in that desert moment, he encounters God in a burning bush who meets him there and says, Moses, you know where you're standing? It's a desert place. It's a wasteland. You've been wandering in a valley with all these sheep. And yet this whole time, you had no idea where you're standing is holy ground because I'm here in this moment. Even when you've been running away from your past, I have been pursuing you there. And for some, you just need to hear, you've been wandering in the valley of regrets of the pain of failure and of your past. And God wants to meet you there in that year. Some are in the year of the not yet. You're wandering in the valley of not yet. It's the moments where you have a dream, you have a longing, and it's not yet realized. Right? For some, you've, you're single and you've been praying and you set aside, you said, God, I want to follow you. I want to do life your way, but I long to be married and it hasn't happened yet. And you're in the in-between land, aren't you? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. And it's in that waiting that's excruciating, isn't it? Waiting's so hard. Andrew Murray had this saying, a famous South African um, missionary said, waiting on God ascribes to God the glory of being all to us. Because it's in the waiting that we have to truly trust him. It's in the unknown. And you live in the not yet For some, you long to have kids and you've been praying for kids and it's in the not yet and you live with dreams unfulfilled. Maybe it's a kid that has walked away from God and you've been praying and you long for him to return. You long for her to return and it's a not yet. And you're wandering in the valley of the not yet. It's interesting, Joseph. Joseph had a dream. He was a cocky, arrogant little squirt, wasn't he? But he had a dream. And it wasn't just any dream. It was a God dream. And then from the age of 17 to 30, he was betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, a servant, falsely accused of rape, and then imprisoned and put in a dungeon, forgotten and left behind repeatedly. Thirteen years of not yet. Thirteen years of wilderness and of wandering in the valley. And it's got this amazing refrain. If you go and read his story in the book of Genesis, you know what it says about him in all of those years? And God was with Joseph. See, some of you are in the not yet. And you've been wandering. And the question is, where is God? 
And even though you're in the not yet realm, God is still with you. See, there's something about the valley that teaches us something that the mountaintop can. In the valley, we learn, or really have the option, I guess we don't have to learn it, that God is with us and that God is enough. You can only learn that in the valley and in the wilderness. Some are in the valley of discouragement. You walked in discouraged. You walked in doubting. Doubting God, doubting what's going on. Some, some you're discouraged. You don't even know why you're discouraged. <laughs> you look around and everything's going great. You're like, I think I'm depressed. You know what's amazing? Is if you look at the life of Elijah, Elijah was this man who was a prophet of God who did incredible miracles for God. You should read them sometime. It's fantastic. It's unbelievable. In fact, he had a mountaintop experience, and his mountaintop experience was on the literally mountain of Carmel. And he's there, and he confronts the, the wicked priest of Baal, and in that sees God show up dramatically and then has this queen Jezebel that gives him a hard time. You know what happens after the mountaintop experience? He goes into the valley of discouragement. He goes into the valley of despair. He goes into the valley of depression, and he runs, and he whines. That's what we do when we're discouraged. We whine. <laughs> He just go, what? Oh, God. In fact, he says it this way. Oh, God, take my life now. That's how we feel, right? In the valley of discouragement, in the valley of despair, we just whine and we complain and we call it to God. Why did you make me smote me now? What's interesting is oftentimes we're very good at giving other people grace, but not good at giving ourselves grace. You know, you know what God did in the valley of despair for Elijah? He came to him and said, suck it up, kid. Because you're sucking it up right now. This is not, no, that's not what he said. Some of you are like, really? That's in the Bible? Oh my gosh, I've got to read this thing more. It's interesting, Elijah ran ran in the valley, ran in the desert, and God ministered and nourished his needs, and he ran some more. He ended up in this cave, and God ministered to him there, and he showed up in all sorts of different ways. He showed up in a fire, and he, but he still God wasn't there, and he sees this great wind, and still God wasn't there, and this earthquake, and then in the stillness, it says, God was there, and God spoke. And God met him as a loving father would a discouraged son. God met him, put his arms around him figuratively, if you will, and said, you're not alone and I'm with you. 
I'm for you. And it's okay to be discouraged. It's just not okay to stay here. But I'm going to meet you in this moment. And for some, you're in the valley of loss. The way David would say it, the great king of Israel, he'd say it's in the valley of the shadow of death. You're in the valley of loss. Maybe it's a lost dream. Maybe it's a loss. Literally. Of a relationship that just, where did that go? The death of a loved one. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. This is a story I've told before. I wasn't planning on telling it, but I'm going to tell it anyways. So if you've heard it, bear with me. A couple years ago, I was um, hanging out with my family at the beach. I'm a beach kid. Grew up in Santa Cruz. And it's taking my daughter paddleboarding. And as we were paddleboarding... Uh, I take her out, and we're just beyond the waves, just beyond the break. And she gets really scared. And she sits on the paddleboard with her knees right here, and she's holding tightly. And now she's a young girl at this point, and she begins to shake. And I mean, honestly, we're not out that far <laughs> like 30 yards, okay? It's not that deep. And the waves aren't that big. And yet, for a young girl, it feels like we couldn't be farther from shore. The water couldn't be deeper, and the waves couldn't be bigger. And out in that moment, I realized, I realized what God wants us to learn in the valleys as we wander and why it's in those years and why he allows those moments because we get so attached to safety. We get so attached to comfort. We get so attached to, to crap that will never satisfy. And that's the reason we don't encounter God. Is that she shook. I just told her, I said, Ella, it's okay. Your daddy's with you. Because I wouldn't take you somewhere that would drown you. You're safe. Your daddy's with you. The waves aren't as big as they feel. The ocean isn't as deep as it seems. And we're not as far from land as it looks. I'm with you. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. And that is enough. In the year that King Uzziah died, in the year you fill in the blank, I saw God. And you know where he's been all along? Though it may feel that he is far, he isn't far at all. He is with you. And in Jesus... We see a God that is not only with us in the valleys, a God that not only pursues us in the valleys, we have a God who's walked through the valley of the shadow of death, who has conquered death. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. This morning, we're going to take communion to celebrate the God who is with us, who has walked with us, who is with you. And for some this morning, you do not have a relationship with him. And the invitation is for you to simply cry out and say, God, I need you. And you put your faith in Jesus. No other name by which you can be saved. That he came for you. He died for you. But the grave is empty and he lives and reigns now. And he will bring life and meet you in your valley. And you simply go, God, I desperately need you. I don't get it all, but I, today I put my faith in you. Would you meet me in the wilderness, in the valley? And I'd encourage you that as we worship, and I'm going to invite Gabe and Jess to come back up, that you would allow the honest cry of your soul to God. Like, that nothing would hold you back. There you go, God, okay. I want you. I want to encounter you. I don't, no, no, I need, I need this moment. I, I can't do it anymore. I need you. And would you take communion, break the bread, his body broken for us, dip it into the cup. His blood poured out for us that we might have life and encounter God.